Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode seventy-nine of Strangers in a Cinema. Um, we weren't here last week, and that was my fault. So sorry, everyone. I was ill and then disappeared back to Bath. So not committed enough to the podcast, I don't think. But we are back. Uh, I'm Paul Anderson here with co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. How are we all? Good, man. Yeah, there's been a yawning chasm of time since we were last on the microphone. <laughs> it, it feels quite weird to be back here, actually. Uh, so weird, in fact, that I felt incredibly ill before we started recording. You're just trying to do this to make me look bad because I went sick with a cold and you've turned up and gone, oh, I might be sick, actually sick, guys, yeah. but I'm going to do the show anyway. I think that's what he's doing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Pretty good yeah, show, yeah. that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's good to be back. Uh, it's We've got, as always, like a load of stuff to talk about, movie-related and otherwise, but um, focusing today on two feature reviews as we usually do Paul what have we got this week, uh, this week we've got uh, the latest from Richard Linklater which is Last Flag Flying which I think is now it was certainly now available on Amazon uh, and then we've got Greta Gerwig's much anticipated Ladybird, which finally finally arrived on these shores uh, the weekend just passed I think so uh, yeah before we get to that though we will take you on our now traditional trip through the cinema uh, starting with a trip to the foyer um, and what we've, what have we got today Pete in the foyer? Well you mentioned uh, that one of the feature reviews is going to be the Greta Gerwig film Lady Bird Oscar nominated of course so with the Oscars just what a few days away now time of recording with the 28th of February the Oscar ceremony due to take place Sunday on the, the 4th, 4th I think yeah uh, so we'll probably catch up with it I would expect on the Monday just because of the the nature of the time difference between the US and here however we did want to just have another last look at the Oscar situation what we think maybe deserves to win what we're interested in and what we're not so interested in uh, I would say the not interested or not so interested column is is probably going to be greater than the uh, interested yeah, column when it comes to this what are your thoughts on the nominees this year I mean we I mean I think the last time we talked about the Oscars we talked about the nominations around we haven't really caught up with any of them because as usual the, the, the sort of UK really meant we didn't get to them in time what are your thoughts this year about the general quality of the nominees I think I'm not hugely blown away and I think you've enjoyed them less than me from based on sitting across from each other here no I think that's fair enough I mean I I would say that looking down the list there are a number of uh, uh, very good films I'm not sure that there are truly great films of the ilk of um, you know like Moonlight for example which won best picture last year uh, what's your take, Paul? Do you think the standard is well, I, is decent? I think the standard's decent, but there's nothing. Re- I would say there's nothing really that's jumped out at me in in the way that say Moonlight did last year. I mean, looking at so let's let's look at Best Picture. So yeah. we've got the nominees. Call me by your name. Finally seen it. Yes, watched it last night. Uh, Darkest Hour should not be on the list. Dunkirk. Yeah, it's kind of like Nolan didn't get anything for the Dark Knight trilogy, so have something for Dunkirk. It was it was something. It was it was, it was technical technical and... masterpiece, but. Um, yeah, uh, Get Out, again. really good. I think yeah. Get Out, funnily enough, is one of those approaching this Oscar season, which is actually going up in my estimation, and mm. maybe that is in relation to some of the things that I find to be less compelling. I mean, I, for one, am definitely not on the three billboards outside having Missouri bandwagon, no. which seems to be gathering steam and already, you know, has scooped a, a, a large number of awards, including, wasn't it Golden Globes quite yeah, recently? Yeah, BAFTA, I think. Did it win BAFTA? Or was it BAFTA, yeah. I get the yeah. two, two I was watching up. Red Score 
European while the BAFTAs are on after. I will, right. I will confess. So. Yeah, you're right. It was, <laughs> it was the BAFTAs that I saw most recently. So, yeah, I, I think that film is, is interesting. I think that, that there's some good writing in there. I think there's also some slightly juvenile writing in there. And I, I just don't know that it's worth the sort of lofty praise that it's getting. From, no, I mean, from I, I think I, I certainly liked it more than you did. And I, I, think it's, I think it's a good film, but I don't think it's necessarily a great one. And I think a lot of the stuff on this list, so Get Out didn't make my top ten of last year. It's not to say I don't mm. like it, because it's a very good it's film. It's very good. It's a very important film, but I think it's quite easy for that distinction to be lost, whereas an important film suddenly yeah. becomes a good film yeah. because it's, it make, makes a valid point. So. No, and, and I think sort of you're right in the sort of wider conversation about Get Out. However, I, I guess that I've now, maybe I've come round to this point, but to feeling like it kind of discredits the film a bit much when people say, oh, it's an important film, it's important, it's important taking aside whether or not it's important mm. on, a, on a bigger cultural sort of um, in a cultural framework I just think it's a good movie it I is think a good, good movie, movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, said, I'm I think, not saying I didn't like it I did I liked it a lot I just don't think it's as good as some previous Oscar winners have sure and, but if you look down that list Paul I mean of the ones that are there, I would say Get Out is one of the only ones that would call me back for a, a second or third view. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, just to round out the list, so we've also got Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post. What on earth is The Post doing here? Um, and The Shape of Water, which I know I liked a lot more than you did. But Phantom um, Thread, I but Phantom absolutely Thread, adore. Which, we, which, to be fair, I, I liked Phantom Thread a lot as well. So I suppose, yeah, Get Out of that list is one of the better films on that list, yeah. certainly. Um, I think, for, for me, having seen Call Me By Your Name last night, Call Me By Your Name is probably up there with Phantom Thread for me in terms of just ha- in terms of such being such a beautifully constructed and very very incredibly well put together film. But what will win, Paul? What will win? I mean, we know Oscar to some extent. We know the Academy to some extent. I mean, what are we expecting here? I've because got a feeling The Shape of Water will take Best Picture. Yeah, I, I would say it's a toss-up between that and Three Billboards. And, yeah. and I feel like in the final reckoning, um, you know, and I'll probably stand correct on this, but in the final reckoning, I think some of the um, some of the more colourful language in Three Billboards and the darker uh, themes there are maybe going to preclude it from winning Best mm. Picture. But you will see. I mean, we'll see, because it doesn't seem to be stopping any of the momentum so far. So um, anything else that stands out? I mean, we've kind of done this feature before, but like anything else that stands out for either of you guys that you think oh that's a nailed on win or that should win because I'd throw out for example uh, best screenplay yeah. I think it should be uh, Greta Gerwig and, and Lady Bird which we'll come on to later on I think um, that's a fair I think yeah we'll come to Lady Bird later but I'd not as best picture fair, but a no, screenplay I think, I think that's a fair um, certainly a, a fair nod I think Alison Janey is almost shooing to walk away with best supporting actress for I, Tonya mm. she's incredible in it whether uh, ooh, I think prob- you're probably going to be looking at Gary Oldman for best actor as well whether I still it's, haven't seen that movie it's not it's just it's fine that's it that's my review I've talked about Darkest Star before perf- so you can the look back on the episode the performance but... is it the kind of performance that's going to sort of stick in your head all year no, no it's, it's not really best. but I just I can yeah. just see him winning it because it's a historical character Daniel Lewis is great in, in Phantom Thread really it, it may be because it's his final in Bunny Ears uh, performance he may get the nod here but He's not Daniel Day-Lewis isn't the strongest performance in Phantom Thread, I don't think, and I think it's he's intentionally played it. That and that's way, but... Leslie Manville or or Vicky Creeps. Vicky but, Creeps yeah. for, for me, Vicky Creeps, I think. Um, in terms of the other one, I'm normally quite fond of best director. Um, yeah, probably I can see this either go into. I mean, this tends to go to a different film, doesn't it? To the best picture, we'd kind of be nice. I can. Possibly Nolan might be in for a shot of Dunkirk with Best Director. I don't know though. That might be that's there's my outside prediction. Nolan will get 
best director for Dunkirk. But yeah, overall, I mean, as it goes each year, we'll probably um, at some point catch up with the ceremony itself and skip through the boring parts. Uh, and, you know, who knows? It, it's interesting as film fans to talk about the Oscars. I think it's also advisable not to invest too much of your sort of emotional um, self into the outcomes either way, because to be honest, it matters in the sort of money machine of Hollywood, but I'm not sure it matters. No, I would, I would second that. that to be fair. I used to get a lot more invested in it than I do. And I think my, my frustration at times with the Oscars and any, any awards ceremony really is that people who are not as into film will look at Oscars and go, well, that's the absolute cream of the crop from last year. It's not by any stretch that, you know, the, the, I mean, there's some very good films in there. They do recognise good films, but there's a lot of very good films that don't get don't get any notice at all from the academy so just take yeah take them with a pinch of salt i would say it's fun but with a pinch of salt um right well that wraps up in the foyer we'll be back shortly with a trip to the popcorn counter and back we are pete do you want to go first this week on popcorn i can do man yeah so Goodness knows we have had enough time to watch a few films and um, we've got a bit of a backlog probably on you know all three fronts of the pod but um, I'm going to shoehorn in uh, the James Marsh film The Mercy because I don't think we'll get this in anywhere else um, just because we missed a week last week and so on. Uh, in terms of the theatrical release, this one you were quite excited for this, weren't you? Yeah. The, documentary, the reason I brought topic. this up as I think a coming attraction not too long ago is because it tells the story of Donald Crowhurst, and there was a documentary about Donald Crowhurst called Deep Water, which came out um, some few years ago, uh, maybe six or seven years ago. I I don't remember exactly, uh, maybe a little bit more. But Donald Crowhurst was this sort of um, everyman-ish British gentleman who attempted to circumnavigate the globe single-handedly in a boat that he built himself as part of uh, a yacht race a boat race that he never really should have entered and never really had the um, qualifications Mm. to be involved in and the reason that he did it and the reason that this yarn is fairly compelling and the reason it's been turned into not only a documentary but other films as well and books I believe is because it's a story really about man attempting to prove that he is or more specifically a man attempting to prove his worth and to some extent his manliness um, as he feels that his time in the sun is slipping away, as he feels that, you know, maybe he's moving towards later middle age, maybe he hasn't achieved the things that he thinks he should have achieved. And there's this universality to the story whereby you, in following Donald Crowhurst, maybe think about how much have you ever really challenged yourself? How much have you ever really been outside of your comfort zone and seized their day and taken on a, a task bigger than yourself? With all that said, it's also complete folly on the part of Donald Crowhurst, not unlike someone like Christopher McCandless going uh, into the wild or or what have you. I mean, he's completely out of his element and you almost feel that sense of um, something like the, the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster where something set in motion that is doomed from the outset and you're there to watch it unravel I haven't talked that much about the film itself which maybe speaks to my opinion (laughs) of it which is um, Colin Firth here plays Donald Crowhurst he's fine I'm not sure that he has the sort of um, frayed around the edges sort of heft to play a character like this Um, and then we've got Rachel Weisz as his wife who 
it's not a rub on her, but like is too attractive to play that role. It just it just seems incongruous that his right his wife on shore in uh, Tynmouth, I think they're in the on the southwest coast of the UK, is is this beautiful Hollywood actress. Doesn't really make makes sense um, from a casting point of view, and I just think that this telling the James Marsh telling of the story takes away some of the the sort of rougher edges and some of the more difficult elements of this tale and leaves you with a sort of um, boy's own adventure turned tragic that won't hit you in the gut in the same way as something like the documentary Deep Water okay. will. So I think if you're interested in the story that I'm describing, check out that documentary before bothering uh, maybe with the, the feature film. But yeah, that one was at the mercy from this year. I think it's still at some cinemas, actually. Yeah, I, I struggled to get to it, but it is still, it's out and about there somewhere, definitely. Um, yes, so the first one this week is a film that terrifyingly is 50 years old this year, which is George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Um, have you seen this, guys? Uh, honestly, yeah. I haven't. Oh, wow. Okay, which, uh, need to, for need me, to it's probably that. quite bad. So yeah. this is pretty much the... I, whether I was talk, talking to my wife the other day about whether we thought this was actually the first ever zombie film or not. I've got a feeling it might be, although there's probably someone out there waiting to correct me. Um, certainly, it's the it's the granddaddy of sort of zombie films uh, as we know it today. Um, George Romero's first, uh, zom- first attempt at zombie film. I keep saying the word zombie films here. I'm, gonna, I'm excited to talk about the film. Uh, it stands up incredibly well. It's still absolutely terrifying. And to be honest, it still feels progressive. Like, I I put this on, and so it opens with, um, they're coming for you, Barbara, that classic line. And a woman and a brother are visiting the graveyard of, I think, their their mother or father, I think. uh, Their father, in fact, and taking a wreath of flowers. Uh, And initially, so the zombies appear, and initially think, okay, the brother's going to survive and the woman's going to die. The blonde woman survives. She falls over, loses a shoe. You think she's going to die here. She gets up. She makes it to the car. The zombie smashes the car window. She escapes again. She escapes again. And she escapes again. And you're like, wow, okay. And this is 1968. Not only that, but once we get to the house, do you know the person who saves her, Pete? It's a black man in 1968. Now, it's weird talking about Get Out, um, Mm. because Jordan Peele has actually been talking quite a lot about Night of the Living Dead and how it's an inspiration on the fact that that like the guy the guy's trapped in the black guy's trapped in a house and could actually be it's he's trapped in a house and scared of society and has bolted himself off and is bolting himself away from a wider society now and the end i'm not going to spoil the end if you haven't seen it the end is absolute savagery and it's it's a shocking indictment of race relations in the u.s now what's interesting what's even more interesting pete and i don't know if you know this George Romero claims that none of this was intended and the only reason the guy got the part is because he gave the best audition, which in some ways is even better. (laughs) Do you know where I'm coming from? So whether or not, I don't know whether he's embarrassed by the fact that he... I can't believe he doesn't intend it to be a a piece on race relations because it's just the way the film's put together. Do you know where I'm coming from? No, but it's a really interesting discussion, I think, as well, because filmmakers um, across the history of horror I suppose sometimes you think oh the foregrounding here is race relations Mm. or or sexual health or or the Vietnam War or whatever it might be but actually even if as a filmmaker you don't go in there intending to make the thing sort of um, uh, full of subtext and so on the very fact that you're living in the society at that time probably that is borne out in the stuff that you make I think whether it's deliberately intended as a, as a, a sort of social commentary piece or whether it's not 
it mm. certainly is one. That, that, that's I, I don't think I think you'd be hard pushed not to well, read the film. Well, any it's other like way. when when Wes Craven made uh, Last House on the Left, and he said that basically, yeah, there's all this stuff going on uh, below the surface. Although you know, it's, some of it works better than other parts, obviously that movie. But um, yeah, all this stuff going on. But actually, he was just a young man in his twenties at the time who was just very angry. Well, it's a I Vietnam think, allegory. Last time yeah, this is a Vietnam. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know that he would have gone in going right now. I'm going to stitch together a perfect he allegory claims, for the Vietnam War. He, the reason he claims he, did, I think, in later in life, he did claim that he was doing that. The only reason I know this because I did, I did my dissertation for sure. But what but. I'm saying is, yes, that those elements are are in the flesh of what you're making. But at the same time, it's just the fact that you're making a film in the era as a young man that I you see are, what you're right? Because yeah. Romero yeah. in 1968, I don't know what age he would have been, but not particularly old. No, uh, very young. Yeah, so last uh, Night of the Living Dead, um, Criterion have just re-released it as well. It's an incredible transfer. It's gone through about so many different re-releases. Some have been colourised, some have been cut. This cut's incredible. It looks fantastic. So if you haven't yet bought it, go out and buy Night of the Living Dead. If you haven't seen it, sort yourself out, Jack. I will, I will do. (laughs) Pete, what have you got next? So, uh, horrible things coming to get you. Uh, My second popcorn film for this week is Ben Young's movie, Hounds of Love, which is a 2016 movie that I've only managed to catch up with. It's only just come out this year. Just recently, yeah. I don't think we had it over here. It got very limited release back in the last year and has just hit home release, I think. So, it's taken a while to come over here. So, what's interesting about Hounds of Love, it's essentially a a kidnap and ransom movie um, uh, on its surface. However, it's very, very um, artfully put together by Ben Young with what is, I believe, his feature debut, at okay. least um, full, sort of full solo feature debut. Uh, it features this central performance from uh, Emma Booth, I think, is the uh, actress that I'm thinking of. And then a couple who kidnap a teenage girl. I think she's supposed to be about... 18, 19 in the movie? I think so, No, yeah. she's uh, still at school, isn't she? Yeah, but school in uh, New Zealand... What, well, Australia, isn't it? Australia, Australia yeah. High school, yeah. I think oh, she's, 18. yeah, maybe 18. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's walking home from a party or walking to a party, I think. She gets picked up by this couple. They're sort of in their mid-30s. They seem like they might just be, you know, good old uh, fun-time people who want to sell her some weed and, like, hang out or whatever. Uh, she takes a ride, she takes some weed, and then things go dark. She's found It's found a bit herself. like how we got Jack on the podcast. It is, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Found himself chained to his production desk. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, but yeah, I mean, we've seen this story many a time. And and I think, Paul, that you can understand where I'm coming from when I say that sometimes I balk at these kind of stories. Like when we did... um, what was the one with uh, Robert Pattinson that you'd recommended that I I sort of got a bit touched? The Rover. Yeah. Like... Only because, again, we're dealing in the Australian outback and sort of horrible people being horrible. I think what sets this apart for me is the way that Ben Young uses all these different kinds of um, staging techniques and kind of slow motion and, um, I don't know, fixed camera positions where violence takes place slightly off screen. Things that are just done with so much confidence that it was quite an arresting experience for me, this film. And it has what I think is one of the most sensational endings to a kind of horror thriller movie that I've seen in a a long time. You guys have both seen this, right? Yeah, Yeah. Jack, do you want to... Are you with me? I mean, did you... I I liked it a lot. I really liked it a lot. No, I totally agree with the ending. The uh, song that it played out on Mm. was, was spectacular and really sort of worked for that end scene. Um, yeah, and I, I do agree with this whole whole arty shots and especially the scene where 
they go into the bathroom mm. and you don't you have no idea what's going on but you can only sort of expect what is going on um, yeah I just I, I thought it was it was great and un- but it was harrowing and it just made me feel a lot of things that unlike a uh, lot of um, films that are like you know young newborn girl gets kidnapped or whatever yeah. here the dynamic isn't just about cruelty towards this vulnerable person and her attempt to escape the situation actually what's interesting in, in terms of the story and, and the dynamics the dynamics here is the relationship between yeah. the couple themselves because it's the, the girlfriend uh, in this situation who wants to have her kids come and live with her and her very um, sort of own sense of sort of maternal instinct instinct is going to prove pivotal to the whole story as it unravels yeah and i think i think you're right i think for for me the way it was the the way the um the kidnapped victim decides to try and start playing off the um the couple the against kidnapped each other. Her. i think yeah. that, that makes it a bit more interesting material like this is quite difficult and as i said watching this with my wife again uh she was like i don't really know why they make films like that and i struggle to watch them and i get that and don't get me wrong like this film isn't for everyone but by a long oh, yeah, stretch absolutely. like you've you've got to have a fairly strong stomach to take a lot of what goes on here um but at the same time yeah it's yeah i thought it was very good um i did i liked it a lot um i'm quite into my i've quite got quite a hard stomach for more extreme material anyway so i didn't well, necessarily find this yeah and i and i well i haven't to be fair at this point <laughs> as i get older i feel like i haven't more and more however this is my sticking point is that if the human connections between people are something that I can actually buy and something I can latch onto, then I'm with you. And I don't think that this is a film that could be written off as just like, yeah, like you're saying, Paul. It's not exploitation. Yeah, you do need to to have a strong stomach. You do need to be careful maybe who you watch it with. But at the same time, it's not that same genre of just like trashy, nihilistic stuff that I'm not This isn't Hobo with a shotgun or, you know, all that kind of thing. It's not all like Rob Zombie's movies or or whatever. No, it's not. It's not exploitation. It's It's a serious film. It should be not that exploitation isn't a serious film but I think you get where I'm coming from it's not exploitation it's actually a much more interesting film that's got a lot more going on and I don't think the violence is here just for shock effect I think it actually adds something to the story so yeah Hands of Love is very good if you haven't seen it and, and incidentally Paul just to finish off Extinction is going to be Ben Young's next film it, it's dropping on Netflix exclusively I believe quite soon oh, Okay. Um, and this one stars Lizzie Kaplan and Michael Pena and looks um, interesting so yeah I mean I just think that he's a director worth worth watching mm. maybe worth latching onto for a little bit so yeah Hounds of Love check it out if you get the chance what's second for you Paul you got something um, can I do it can I talk about Call Me By Your Name please because we've been trying to talk about it I think it's the film we've it's talked about the most Call Me By Your Name on, on release anywhere in the UK uh, yes it is Yeah, I bought it from Amazon for okay. £9.99 go, go right ahead and bring yourself out yes. Sir. <laughs> uh, yes Call Me By Your Name finally we got to it the film I think we've talked about most on the podcast without anyone having seen it um, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt um, it's an incredibly well shot and put together film directed by Luca Guadagnino is that his Guadagnino, name Guadagnino Guadagnino um, starring Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, yep. Chalamet um, who is definitely going to be a massive star. I mean, he's literally everywhere at the moment. Um, yeah, it's. I would say for the most part, certainly believe the hype. It's, it's lavishly put together. It's an astoundingly beauti- beautifully shot film. Um, I struggled a little bit for the first half an hour with the characters. They wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're the most instantly likable of types, um, kind of 
very well-to-do, almost spoiled rich brats, and you kind of it's difficult to feel sympathy for these people. But once the romance actually blooms between the two main characters, the film is, as I said, staggeringly beautiful. It looks amazing. Um, it's an enchanting experience and one that should be experienced uh, sooner rather than later. Certainly, I don't know where it would have sat now because I did my top ten list a while ago. It certainly probably would have sat somewhere in my top ten. It's Tilda Swinton uh, of last it? year. No. Wow. So they've they've parted. There must be a reason behind that. It must okay. have been you know, conflicting schedules or something. Because, I'm fairly confident she isn't. But. Yeah. All, all the way back, that film that I reviewed not too long ago, the protagonist, mm. uh, which was his his debut, Luca yeah. Guadagnino, when he was a, a young man. Um, and then through like I Am Love and uh, A Bigger Splash mm. and things he's done recently, like what you say, because I'm the one in the three here who hasn't seen this, right? You've seen it, haven't you? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, yet. okay. No, you're, no, you're, no, you're, so when you said we've caught up with it, Paul, you meant you and you. the oh, voices in your sorry, head. You meant, yeah. I was, yeah, I was meaning yeah. to watch it, but I haven't found the, the right time to right. watch it. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about it seems to ring true with what I would expect. But is it like you feel like I... I kind of um, admire the staging of this movie, but I don't really like any of these people. Yes, right. I think that sums it up. Like, I can, <laughs> I, as as from a technical perspective, you will sit there and go, "God damn, this is a fine film." Like, yeah. and it is. But some of the character, the the characters are quite difficult to relate to. I would say, because or very difficult. To I suppose to that there. this question is leading to like, does that then preclude it for you from being at the very sort of top? Or higher end of your regard in terms of the the films that you've loved in the last. Well, yeah, I mean, list okay, not, yeah. If, if I mean, if it, if it had been if it had made my top ten of last year list, it would have been in the bottom five because I didn't find it as emotionally engaging as something like Florida Project, for example. Yeah, and, and, I felt I felt I felt that Florida. I felt that although the film is very good and the performances are very good, and probably get crucified for saying this, I don't think the film had as much heart as something like Florida Project because I think he made, it's made in almost a very almost clinical clinical like look at my lavish film way as opposed to the Florida project which is definitely shot with a lot of heart so it's a bit, it's a bit like an alternative Michael Haneke then in that case yeah in, in, well yeah, in, yeah actually there are similarities there I don't know that. how many people are com- comparing Luca Guadagnino with uh, Michael Haneke but I've done it today yeah so uh, no, mark, mark this episode but yeah um, yeah so, certainly 100% watch it, it you know it's um yeah it's a def- definitely a recommendation um, Jack, have you got anything to throw in, or should we run on? Yeah, to the next yeah, I've, yeah. I've got one film that I watched a couple of days ago, actually, Yay. which is yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, Paul. Um, yeah, this uh, featured before. Uh, it's called The Ritual, uh, directed by um, David Bruckner, I think, and stars Raf Spool. Um, for me, this film, as an English horror, was amazing. Surprise, like, right? I was so surprised by how good it was. And the performances of uh, Raph Paul as well. I like him. I've I always thought, quite like Since Pete vs. Life, I've yeah, always enjoyed absolutely. him as an actor. Um, uh, only because this is my responsibility on the podcast. I think his first name's Rafe. I think his Rafe. first name's Rafe as well. Yeah. <laughs> what did I yeah. say? Raph. Raph. Yeah. Raph. Uh, uh, <clears throat> all right. But, but yeah, I mean, it's this whole like haunted by the crimes of the past. The yes. guy didn't step in when his mate got got jumped in a liquor store. A, a, a I suppose it was shop. a liquor a corner shop. Corner shop, shop in the UK, yeah. Th- that, those scenes of like sort of the horror sounds and then sudden spark to that imagery of like different scenes basically really worked for me and the creature design is incredible as well it was it was it was very weird looking but it really worked and especially that room um that he yeah did something to that was just uh, that was horrifying just the shrieks and the sounds and um even the scenery was great because i i love the whole sort of uh Scandinavian sort of wilderness. I so yeah, really so, we say, so we say it's an English horror. They go on a they go on a, a, what, a night out, 
uh, their friend gets something happens to them. Well, it's not really spoiler; it's in the trailer. The friend gets killed, and then to set to celebrate his life, they go hiking in Swedish woods, don't they? Hence yeah, the Scandinavian yeah, right. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's more than meets the eye going on the woods. I really liked it as well, Jack. To be honest, I've only caught up. And, with it for and, the last and no, I'm well. glad you brought it up again because it's the kind of movie that I think um, it might just pass people by because the, there was a cinematic release, but it was small, it was limited, and this is one uh, I think you would you would co-sign on this, Jack. Like when this comes up on streaming, definitely make time for it because it is surprisingly. Yeah. Good. Well, and that's not to throw shade well, on British horror. Outside, but... of, outside of the UK, it's definitely on Netflix, I think, pretty much everywhere else. So right. for anyone listening can, uh, outside rent of the UK, it on you can Prime Video yeah. now as well. So I've got of it. But anyone outside of the UK, I'm confident it's on Netflix. Um, so yeah, check it out if you haven't seen nice it. Nice pick. So th- yeah, that brings us to the end of Popcorn Movies. We will be back in just a moment with a couple of coming attractions. So I'm going to jump straight in uh, with a film that uh, has had a trailer, which is the whole point of this section. I say jump straight in and then I just start mumbling a load of nonsense. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm going to jump straight in with uh, an adaptation of a book that absolutely devastated me, an Ian McEwan book called On Chessel Beach. Um, is anyone familiar with this book? No, I know Ian McEwan. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, it's absolutely, it's it's a brilliant book, but it's uh, emotionally draining, shall we say. Uh, and this is being adapted by, I believe, a first-time feature filmmaker called Dominic Cook, um, starring Saoirse Ronan and Billy Howell, I think his name is. Might be, my handwriting's dreadful. Um, yeah, so, I'm... <laughs> I don't know about this. I mean, Atonement, I've still not caught up with, but I haven't read the book either, and that was a Joe Wright adaptation. I don't know. It's one of those books that's so dear to my heart that I'm not sure whether anyone directing it, apart you know, apart from a dream team that I put together to make it, could actually make it. I think Saoirse Ronan, I think she's a great actress. I think she will do very well here. More on her later. Uh, yeah. Um, I think she will do very well here. I don't know much about um, the, the co-star Billy Helm. Helm, I can't read his name at all, which is remiss of me. Nothing, no knowledge of the director, but... It's based on one of my favourite books. I have to say, I don't think it was a very good trailer that's been put together, uh, but I'm still excited about it and we'll totally go and see this when it comes out. We, we've awesome. got a funny coming attraction section, haven't we? Because yeah. we've, we've got into this habit and I do it just, just as much. Reviewing the trailers. Well, yeah. well, no, but where we go like, hey, here's a coming attraction. I don't know if it'll be that good and I'm just like a bit <laughs> trepidatious about actually Not watching it. it. And the trailer was shit, but coming attraction. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Looking forward to it. <laughs> I, I've got for this week uh, the uh, latest from Lynn Ramsey, which I believe has, has been released in the United States, but not over here yet. It's You Were Never Really Here. Oh, this um, looks awesome. And this releases in the UK on March 9th, so not long to wait, just a, a week and a half, something good, like that. Good luck that. finding that one. <laughs> um, it stars uh, Joaquin Phoenix, is a scant one hour and 25 minutes, all four films that come in under yep. an hour and a half and, and just get in and get out and say what they've got to say. It's a sort of mystery thriller uh, centred around a traumatised veteran who's tracking down missing girls. It all sounds pretty bleak, but I think Lynn, Lynn, Ramsey, Lynn Ramsey even is a director, um, again, who I have followed for a little while, and I think that this will be uh, very much worth seeing. It's also got 88 on Metacritic at the moment, which is not a bad gauge of the sort of critical response it's had so far, being very positive. So I'm looking forward to that, and we haven't got long to wait, and I'm sure... We'll probably make the time to have a feature review if we can find it in the cinemas. A couple of weeks down the line, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if yeah. it gets a reasonable release, yeah. we'll, we'll see. If not, we'll do maybe a feature later on down the road. Yeah. Jack, have you got something as well? Yeah. So I watched the trailer of Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is the second instalment for Wreck It Ralph, hey. uh, which for me was uh, an excellent film. Uh, the first one. This one is set sort of six years after the first film. 
and uh, basically Sugar Rush, the arcade game, has broken. So they have to go down this Wi-Fi uh, cable, um, in theory, and go and find a piece that will fix the machine, um, which looks really good. I don't know, you know, with a sequel of this um, height, because Wreck-It Ralph was actually quite good, um, surprisingly, um, it's expected on the 30th of November. See, I'm a little bit dubious about Pixar sequels because they have been a mixed bag. I think yeah, for absolutely. me they've only really nailed it with Toy Story. Toy Story, I would Toy say. Toy Story yeah. 2 and 3. Can you think of any other... Like Monsters University, I didn't think was all that much cop. Cars 2, in Cars fairness, 2 I didn't watch, I didn't watch yeah. Cars. Um, I, think they I haven't seen Finding Dory yet, in fairness. Has anyone seen Finding Dory? I've seen Finding Dory. Yeah, yeah it was before, actually, right. yeah. Okay, oh, fair it enough. Was, but yeah, yeah, I just think the, their sequels tend to, for me at least, tend to be a bit of a mixed yeah, bag. I, mean, I, will, I, mean, I will watch this, because I, I really yeah. like Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph was on the cinema, and I was like I, on board with it, because Sarah Silverman's in it, and then oh, uh, it yeah. kind of gave me a headache. But then, um, <laughs> you know, at the same time... Well, this one looks a lot more colourful than the previous, so... Cool. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of time to wait, but um, should be worth the wait. It seems like yeah, for, for fans of that stuff, anyway. If not everyone, um, that's about it for coming attractions, isn't it, lads? It is. We will be back in yeah, just a moment good. with feature reviews. So the first feature this week is going to be the latest effort from Richard Linklater, which is Last Flag Flying. Pete, do you want to set this one up for us? Yeah, selling listeners, we're going to slow it down into our feature review section of the show, where we're going to dissect (laughs) these films a little bit more length rather than talking, you know, at 100 miles an hour. So, um, yes, Richard Linklater is known for charting stories over time whether it's the before trilogy or boyhood or um, recurring characters working with the same kind of actors that sort of thing what we have here with Last Flag Flying is something a little bit different but still has a very strong relationship with the passing of time and indeed the passing of like the generational baton as well the story is centred around a man played by Steve Carell who is on a, a ends up on a road trip of sorts with uh, two other characters played by Brian Cranston and Lawrence Fishburne, because Carell's character wants to collect and then um, well, how do you even explain this? Collect and lay to rest the body of his deceased son. This is not a spoiler. This is sort of the the premise of the movie. Along the road. He's joined, as I said, by a a character played by Brian Cranston who now runs a bar and seems to be living on the sort of fringes of society and a (laughs) a bit disenfranchised and a bit angry at the world. And a character um, played by Lawrence Fishburne who now works as a vicar but has something of a checkered past. All three men are united by their shared experiences in the military that have clearly affected them, scarred them and set them up to be the people that they are in the future, for better or worse, right? Um, let's hear a clip. I'm glad to see you prevailing over your hardships, Doc. Oh, I do my best. You, at least, seem to have turned out to be a decent man. No, I'll try to be. So do I. Me too. I, uh... I regret any role I played in all that foolishness that happened back in Vietnam. Okay. What the hell happened to Mueller the Mauler? Huh? I mean, <laughs> shit. What, you put him in the witness protection program? 
So I think for me, the first thing that jumps out on about this is Steve Carell again. Like I, I really rate him as an actor. I have to say, I don't know where where you guys sit on this one. Um, I'm, you know, coming from a more comedic background that he has done. I, know, I shouldn't. I, I don't know whether I should be surprised now, but every time he, so, oh, sorry about that. Uh, every time he, he kind of comes out with it in this kind of role, I, I'm surprised at how versatile he is. Does anyone else? Where do you I guys think, sit on that? Yeah, for me, I think this is probably the best film I've seen him in in terms of sort of outside of comedy if you know what I mean I mean the Battle of Sexes that we watched last year wasn't his best performance in that sort of category of film um, yeah and I think he really pulled through on this and I really enjoyed his performance yeah I mean as a jumping off point for this film I think that it relies quite heavily on the three central performances yeah, right? because we are with those characters for the entirety almost of the, of the running time here um, I, I agree to an extent about Steve Carell I think that what I see from Steve Carell is the broad comedy stuff that he does very, very well. And his comedy timing is excellent, as we know from like American Office mm. and, and all over the place. Uh, and then some of the big screen comedy stuff, maybe not so good. Um, and then we've got this sort of closed off Steve Carell. And I'm just not sure that there's the um, the whole gamut, the whole spectrum that you okay. might get from like a truly great actor. But I think as, yeah, as a closed off, emotionally repressed character, he is pretty strong at doing that uh from little miss sunshine to this to uh foxcatcher to yeah the places we've seen him doing more serious things recently he's good i think he's a good actor yeah i'm not trying to take away from him and i think that actually for me that sort of informs my opinion of this film because i think this is a good film i think it's a good film um with some good performances that tells a story that is handled pretty well because this is richard linklater and he is you know, <coughs> excuse me, he's got his finger fairly well on the pulse of, you know, human, uh, the human heart, yeah. uh, to, uh, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, I mean, is it better than just a good film, Paul? I mean, what, c- come in on this. Uh, no, <laughs> in all honesty. <laughs> I think I said I, li- I like Steve Carell, as we've established. I like uh, Brian Cranston, I've always been a big fan of, and Lawrence Fishburne. I think the three of them, as characters, have got great chemistry. I enjoy the time they're, they're together on screen. Their they're banter, sorry to use the word, but as the film goes on, <laughs> is, is certainly engaging, and their characters are good. Well, because um, we heard, sorry, Paul, to cut across you, yeah. we heard this on the clip that we've just played, uh, what happened to Mueller the Mauler, because... Yeah. Yeah. the Fishburne character was supposed to be this like hard drinking bad boy back in Nam yeah. and so that's one of the things they keep riffing on is the yeah. fact that he's now like a man of the cloth yeah. where he used and to be Brian Cranston is still like a hard drinking bad boy right well, <laughs> yeah, hard drinking much. anyway yeah. right and, and there is exploration here of like you know uh, somewhat like theology belief um, planning for the future like what do you believe in basically how do you move forward this film is concerned a lot with literally moving forward from one position to the other but also like moving forward in life and yeah, getting absolutely. on to the next stage whether it's burying his son or actually coming to terms with being alone in the world as, yeah. as increasingly you realise Steve Carell is very alone in the world mm. in this movie particularly you know when we learn more about his, his sort of background yeah but I, I said despite despite all the positives I did have some problems here I think the the script, I think, is one of the film's weaker areas. I mean, for me, there's a whole kind of middle section that just the film kind of bounces around a little bit aimlessly, and there's that 
again, just really, really painfully awkward joke where one of them gets confused as a terrorist. Mm. And I'm just like, what is this? Just it feels there's some very, very clumsy jokes thrown into thrown into the mix that, that didn't work for me. And for for someone who's normally as savvy a writer as Richard Linklater, for for the gags to misfire is for me well, it's unusual. Interesting. Yeah, because it, 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 I don't know if you thought about this at the time, Paul, but like what you said about like this baggier middle section and it's all a, it's a bit wayward. Well, we're used to that from Linklater, but usually there's a haze, yeah. there's a haze <laughs> yeah. of weed smoke, and there's guys in a dorm room. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're not in that territory here. We're in much more straight down the line, fairly serious territory. And I think that there are times, and I completely agree with you about the middle of this film. There are times where Linklater's style and the material feel a little bit of a, a, a an uncomfortable. I feel match. at odds, at odds with them. At odds with the kind of what is what is supposed to be a very sort of emotionally and it's hefty clearly, film. It's clearly a um, heartfelt movie. I, mm. I fully believe that Richard Linklater cares about these characters and cares about telling this story. I'm just not at all times uh, through the running time convinced that he's maybe the best man to deal with the issues here um, as it pertains to, no, to the military. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because because he again it, like, his talent is is obvious and even from the most part it is on the screen here. I think. This, that being said, I think it pulls it back towards the end. I think sort of the final third. I think it does. I think the end does does the end of the film does feel sort of emotionally worthy for the material that we've gone through. But yeah, it's just that middle section. I kind of, I kind of, it's a, I don't know. It's really bad when I find yourself kind of looking at the counter and going, "How long has this got left to run?" Like sure. as much as I, you know, I, I get so the yeah, so a good film, but not a great one from my perspective. Jack, you've seen this as well, haven't you? Where yes. You, uh, you well, I. I really enjoyed the chemistry, the on-screen chemistry of um, the three actors, um, and I thought that worked in certain scenes, such as um, when they're on the train together and they're talking about sort of why did you go to the war and all that sort of thing. And there were some lines that really sort of caught me laughing, but for, there was only one or two scenes, I think. And um, as obviously you said, you know, it had a pretty baggy middle, and I would totally agree with that. I think and. For Linklater, it wasn't one of his best films. And and with all that being said, this story about a father of the military burying his son from the military and looking at the coffin and thinking that that could have just been his own fate and now he's left to trudge forward without him. I mean, it is going to strike a chord with some people, certainly more than... And I'm not trying to speak for you guys, but more than it is for me, for example, because I have no oh, no, military no connections yeah, at all. Yeah, and and it made me think, this, Paul, yeah. when I was watching this movie, of him, I have a good friend, and his dad was actually in Vietnam, in the Vietnam War, and one night when we were out drinking, he told me one of his dad's Vietnam stories, and as much as I, throughout my life, particularly my younger days, was like fairly anti-military, I, I suppose, um, I, I found myself kind of drifting to think about how profound those kinds of experiences must be and the ripple effects that they must have on the lives mm. of the people involved. And I think that there's enough of that meat here to pull people along. But I, think, I agree. I, I agree, think yeah. both of you are right. I think maybe it's just, it's not the, the best Richard Linklater. And because we're such big fans of him, maybe you're already, like as you get two thirds or three quarters through, you're thinking, okay, what's he going to do next? Yeah. What's the next project? You know, what's the, the next group of actors he's going to work with? But yeah, there, there's stuff to recommend this movie for there's sure. There's enough to like, certainly if you know, if you are, especially if you're a Linklater fan, there's, there's a lot here you will like, but certainly not up there with his best. Uh, right, we'll be back shortly after this. So 
So second today on the menu is a feature review of Lady Bird, the, should say, solo directorial debut of Greta Gerwig, because I believe that she did a film with Joe Swanberg in about 2008-9 okay. um, as sort of co-directors in the mumblecore <coughs> scene, as people uh, like to, to term it. Uh, yes, Lady Bird is very much the coming out party of the film director Greta Gerwig and it very much tells a story close to her heart and close to her own uh, sort of biography I guess much like The Big Sick did for Kumail Ninjani and Emily V. Gordon that we reviewed last year because this story Lady Bird is about a young girl played by Saoirse Ronan who's high school age growing up in Sacramento the town in which Greta Gerwig grew up um, and going through the tumult of getting older relating to her mother or not relating to her mother a lot of the time um, trying to apply to and get into colleges and basically try to shape herself as an individual going forward in a modern world that is fairly unforgiving. A modern world, we should add, that is in about 2001-2, again, yeah. chiming with the time in which Greta Gerwig, now about 35, was going through these things herself. Um, so, yeah, very much a personal project, very much lauded critically. We'll get into our opinions in just a moment, but first of all, here's a clip. I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York, world I raise such a or at least snob. Connecticut or New Hampshire, well, where writers live in the get woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You can't even pass your driver's test. Because you wouldn't let me practice The way enough. that you work, or the, or the way that you don't work, you're not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Lady Bird. Uh, well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Lady Bird like Christine. you said you would. Just, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College, and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody... So yeah, that clip is very early on in the film, in fairness. I think, Jack, am I correct yes, on that one? Yeah, it's pretty much the opening scenes of the film there, um, establishing Saoirse Ronan's uh, Lady... Well, Christine, or Lady Bird, as she likes to be called, as you can probably <laughs> gauge from that from that clip there. Um, I'm going to start out, and I have to say, and I'm sorry, everyone, I didn't like this anywhere near as much as I thought I would. I d- it just didn't grab me. Um, Pete, help me out. Tell me why. Tell me because I've got the impression. I've seen <laughs> your letter. All that set. We do all <laughs> no, that no, set. No. Just didn't grab me. Just didn't no, grab for, me. For, okay. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. I will continue. I didn't find Lady Bird's character particularly likable. I found her quite annoying, and I found myself siding with the mother, going, "How have you? How are you letting this ungrateful little shit talk to you this way?" As much as I thought Saoirse Ronan's performance was great and I did find some of what she said very, very funny and it's not to say I didn't like the film because I did come out of the cinema having enjoyed it, I just struggled to relate to Lady Bird. Pete. Well, um, you're, you're... Was that better? You're, that was better than going... I, I believe you're wrong, but okay. for the right reasons. Okay. <laughs> because, because what you just said, I think, is very um, prescient. You said that uh, you didn't find it very easy to like this character. I don't think you're really supposed to like the character. Okay. I think that what Greta Gerwig does so well, and, uh, you know, cards on the table if that's what we're doing right now, um, I think this is really good. Really, really mm. good. I'm, I'm basically on side with most of the gushing that's gone on in the, you know, wider film media about the movie. But uh, I don't think you're supposed to like the character. And I think that what she's done is this sort of story of two halves or like... You know one of those pictures that where you look at it, it looks like, uh, for example, people kissing, and then you look at it slightly differently and it looks like a vase? Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? <laughs> this, is, this is a film about both uh, a young person growing up, and it's also about a mother 
raising that young person. It's a film about a person setting off into the world and it's a film about a person letting go of their daughter who's moving off into the world. I think we're not supposed to like Laurie Metcalf. We're not supposed to like Saoirse Ronan to any great extent. Mm. I think that what we see is actually an incredibly honest um, evaluation of what it actually looks like to grow up as a teenager. If you think about, and I don't know, Paul, because I didn't know you then, but if you think about when you were a teenager, when you were this kind of age and how shitty you were to your parents at certain times, (laughs) at certain times, and then also probably how disappointing or um, frustrating your parents might have been to you within those times. And I'm not saying that your life story or mine or Jack's follows anything like growing up in Sacramento like they do in the film but for me there was just enough where it rang true to me Mm. I don't mean clever bits of dialogue I don't mean you know little faces that she pulls or whatever I just mean the way in which mothers are not perfect fathers are not perfect and their kids are certainly not perfect and that clashing that took place throughout I just thought was so beautifully written Mm. um, and brought to screen that this thing it just quietly grew on me through its running time. It wasn't the case that I was wrapped from the get-go. Like you, Paul, I think I went no, in thinking certainly... like, this is a de- it's kind of like you said in a review, I think, that this is it feels very like a, a sort of sundance movie that's, you know, yeah. of that ilk. And I feel the same, but I think the writing was of such quality that as it went on, I just it just took me over a little bit and I just thought, wow, Greta Gerwig is, is a real talent and is someone who is not only intelligent enough to write this story, but is in touch with her emotions um, at a deep enough level. No, to I think all of story. those. I think all of those are fair points. It's just you know when you, you like you can you're watching a film in front of you a bit. I suppose in some ways a bit like Call Me by Your Name, when you know what you're watching is very very good. And like mm-hmm. as I said, I'm not arguing with the, the caliber of the writing. It was fantastic. It just. I came when I when the film finished in the cinema. I came. I was expecting to come out with like the radiant glow of say like came out with controversially for you probably The Shape of Water or something or The Phantom Fred or something like that and I just mm. didn't I just kind of got up and left and was like oh was that it the more maybe maybe the second viewing will help but... do you think though and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus with this no, no. because we are of the same gender I don't know if that's become apparent to the listeners to this show <laughs> but you know they are not the same film but if you compare this with something like um, Boyhood or mm. The Tree of Life yeah. the way that you felt about the father-son relationships in those movies maybe is the way that a lot of girls and women might feel about the mother-daughter relationship in this movie in so much as because you and I and Jack have not had the experience of being sort of a, a teenage gro- girl and growing up some of it might not seem as directly relatable but to me it seemed wholly honest See, that's an interesting point, although my sister didn't like it. So I'm intrigued right. to see why she didn't. But yeah, should've I should have got her on, Paul. I should have got her on, yeah. Should have <laughs> got her on. Um, no, well, she interestingly said something that, uh, that constantly, constantly frustrates me. And I did get it in the cinema I was in as well. It's mm. like, and this is going off on a slight tangent, and we'll go back to Lady Bird in a minute, is people who laugh at jokes in the cinema like they've never been outside before. Right. That that I find, and that can be very distracting from the film itself. So maybe, maybe that was a factor, I don't know. But yeah, no, you make a very interesting point about the fact, yes, actually I related, a lot of what I related to boyhood I suppose is, is down to having been a teenage boy and having a relationship with a father. So yes, maybe women will we, take more from I this than men will. I want to get into just a little bit more about the film before we, we come towards the end of the review, but um, here, so we've mentioned Laurie Metcalf is a... The, 
actress who plays her mother, I think, very, very well. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Letts is the actor who plays her father. And in the movie, we see this uh, dichotomy between the relationship that she has with her father, where he sort of confides in him. Yeah. They have this, these secrets regarding her college applications and funding. And then her mother, who's kept a bit more in the dark and at arm's length and is a bit more fractious. But then we also have the relationship and the duality of the relationship between um, what she has with Lucas Hedges' character, who's like this kind of... Um, <laughs> Well, I can't spoil anything about the plotting of the movie, but this uh, fairly fey uh, theatre type, uh, song and dance theatre type, and then Timothy Chalamet's character, (laughs) who is hella tight and all that, Uh, this kind of too cool for school type, you know, they've what swallow the sim cards what does he say at one point in the thing about well, a tracking device yeah, tracking, yeah. We, we bought the tracking devices now they're in our hands the kind of thing that you know you and I have probably said at some point in our yeah. adolescence <laughs> whilst, whilst likely, stoned yes. at a house party yeah. Or whatever. Um, yeah the way in which also the story doesn't take Sir Ronan's character on a journey towards or away from a relationship with a particular boy that in itself weird to say it but isn't that a little bit revolutionary is too strong but that's that's not common it's not common no, at all it's, yeah no that's that's a fair point actually yeah she, I'll give it, you that it's not like oh it's going to be this guy or no it's going to be this guy instead of that guy because he's got more of the qualities I need no it's going to be her and it's going to be her figuring out what the hell she's doing and to the end of the film she still hasn't done that she doesn't know really where she's going and and what I think is lovely is if, if you're a fan of Greta Gerwig's which it sounds like not everyone is as much as me <laughs> then you'll jump on from this you can go on to something like um, Miss America, right? All the stuff she's done with Noah Baumbach mm. earlier, but kind of later in terms of arc, the arc That's of her, from, her yeah. development, yeah. And, and pick up that character in New York where it is that she moves to in the end. So a bit like you might want to follow uh, whatever his name is when he when he ends up in um, uh, the end of Boyhood, oh, wherever just Boyhood. In, in Austin. Yeah, yeah, when he ends up in Austin at yeah. the end of Boyhood. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I. I really, really like this, and I don't think it's for any of the sort of grandstanding reasons that I thought I might because of all the like praise it was getting. Yeah. I think it's just because it's a, a really smart bit of writing and it's a refreshing story about a girl that doesn't fall into the cliches that you expect from this kind of story or the, or the kind of speaking like you're 35, like Diablo. I like Diablo Cody more than most people, I should say, but uh, yeah, it doesn't have too much of that, no. like, precocious. I don't, for me, there was possibly. Maybe that's my issue, that maybe there was a little bit too much of the precocious, sort of Dawson's Creek element but philosophizing. She's smart, though, isn't um, she? She's smart. I've dated girls like that. I've de- One in particular. Not I, recently, I hope. She's no, cool. but. <laughs> But, you know, it's not about me. Take away from my last point, won't it? But, yeah, I, I, I really liked it a great deal. And, and I think... I mean, what, where's your take on Greta Gerwig as a director, though, having seen this? I, I mean, think she's great. I think Don't get me wrong. I said, look, technical, technical standpoint, I think it's great. I think it's a well-put-together film. Um, I think, as a director, she will make something incredible. For me, this wasn't it, but it's still good, would be my... Putting okay. my flag in the table. Have you seen this yet? I have seen it. Yeah. yeah. What do What do you make? Where do you come? Um, not like there's not anything to sort out here, but like where Where do you come down on the movie? As like being really excited about seeing this, um, I her performance was great, and I I did enjoy that. But for me, it just there was a, it's hard to say really because I came out of it and I wasn't as excited as I was before, you know, and um, I think realistically do you think it's the hype no I think it was the hype that actually sort of got me a little bit maybe I was enticed by that hype Um, but I came out of it and it was it wasn't 
the greatest film. There was but, a lot of relatable stuff, and I totally agree this, with that. I, I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused. Like, isn't this management of expectations? Like, if we've seen Greta Gerwig's output in the past, and then here's a film about a teenage girl going through high school, I'm not sure what everyone was expecting this to be. Well, I think it is. It is pretty much what I expected it to be. Right. I'd be. I'd be honestly. It's pretty much what I expected it to be. Like I didn't like. I was. I was. What I was expecting because of the hype that it got. I was maybe expecting it would to be slightly different. But Mm. what it was was what I what I thought it would be from the trailer, which is fine, and I'm okay with that. As I said, don't don't think I didn't like it because I did. But no, it didn't blow me away. Jack, you mentioned you didn't like the ending. Now, obviously, we can't say what the ending no, is. No, of course not. But um, yeah. it's, it's something that I read in an interview with Greta Gerwig is that she wanted originally to have a title card come up at the end that just said "Call your mother." Really, which wow. is one of those one <laughs> of those really things cool. you know, like um, it's a it's a deep cut or a, a, a bit of a stretch here. But you know, at the end of Arrival, you had that yeah. feeling like oh, I just want to sort of go and hug the people that I yes. care about, or maybe the end of Boyhood <laughs> we've mentioned already. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there. There is that quality to this film, and maybe it's going to hit harder for some people than others. And it's not like you're going to be in floods of tears at the end of Ladybird, maybe. But no, I, I think it's a really good piece of writing, and I think she's she's smart, and I think she's a bit of a treasure. And um, yeah, I, I just I just hope that um, she gets to do as much as she uh, she possibly can with the talent that she obviously. I know has. I agree with all of those points. It's just I didn't like it quite as much as you. I think we've I think I might have come across a little bit too negative because I didn't mean to I didn't mean to sort of hate on the film because I didn't hate it. Um, but yes, I wish her all the best. I think she will be a very good director, and actually, probably will make some fairly. I hadn't thought of the link later parallel until you've just brought it up. But I'd say there's definitely there's definitely some parallels there in terms of her writing, in terms of how they talk. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, I mean, it, it would be too easy of a read to just say that she has a lot in common with Noah Baumbach, given you know, yeah. their relationship <laughs> yeah, status. Yeah. But yeah. she does. I mean, yeah. they gravitate towards each other artistically as well as sort of romantically for obvious reasons. Um, and you know, he his last thing was Merwitz stories, which I think we like quite a bit. Mm. Uh, whether together or apart, I, yeah, I think there are good things to come. So yeah, that was Ladybird, and that is on general release right now, and I think fairly wide, right? Is getting a lot of praise. Yes, I think it has gone fairly wide, in fairness. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for this this week. Um, we will be back next week with reviews of. Red, what's it you've been calling it? Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. either. Red, Red Sparrow with uh, J Law, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, who uh, not not with uh, the director Darren Aronofsky anymore, turns out. But um, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll be re- reviewing her. Is that because Mother bombed? Is that why she's left him? I don't really think so. Off. They seem to have a good relationship. Apparently, she's still friends with all her exes, I learned this week. Oh, okay. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, what's the other one, Paul? Uh, game night, I think. Should we give game night a go? Because that's game out this night, Friday, yeah. isn't it? You've seen it at an unlimited screening, yeah. Uh, and we will be back. Well, we haven't really got much option other than Tuesday because it's the only time I'm in Cheltenham next week. So uh, yes, all being well, we will be back next Tuesday. Uh, in the meantime, find us on Strangers Cinema on Twitter, Strangers in the Cinema on Instagram, uh, or email us strangersinema at gmail dot com. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week. Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down.